This is Brenton Powers, media missionary, here to help you to dwell on truth. There is a God. In today's program, I want to help you to learn how to give a reason for your faith. I'm giving eight reasons that we know God exists. Have you ever been asked by an atheist, how do you know God exists? And as Christians, we believe God exists, and we can know for certain. And my premise is not just that we can know that the existence of God is possible, or plausible, or probable. My premise is that we can know God personally, not just know about him, but we can know him because he has revealed himself to us. So on today's program, I'm going to be sharing some answers I gave to my sister, who's an atheist. She's the lead singer of an atheist advocating hard rock group called Monster on Sunday. She and her husband have a vlog where they attack Christianity in an outspoken way, following militant atheists like Richard Dawkins, Matt Dillahunty, Christopher Hitchens, and they try to refute Christianity and disprove that there is a God. Now, if an atheist says, we know that God does not exist, then it would be a valid question to say, how do you know that? But if they make the claim, there is no God, the burden of proof is on them. But they cannot prove a negative. For example, it's easy to prove that there is gold in China. All you have to do is find one piece there. But if you claim that there is no gold in China, then you have to search everywhere to know that there's no gold. To know that there's no God anywhere You'd have to know everything about everything. You'd have to have all knowledge. And how much of all knowledge can we humbly admit that we know? But you have to know everything to claim there is no God. You don't have to know everything to know that there is a God. So today I'm going to share these eight reasons how I know that there is a God. And most of these reasons are objective and evident. It should be our default position that there is a God who created the world. He's all-powerful or almighty. He is omniscient or all-wise. He's personal. He's just. He's loving. You can discern things about God from creation itself, even apart from the Bible. You can learn general things about the God who made us by perceiving certain things from what he's made. Creation exists, and therefore a creator must exist. You can't have something made without a maker. You can't have something in motion without a prime mover. It's the principle of causality. And some apologists like William Lane Craig will lay out the Kalam argument that all things that begin to exist require a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe requires a cause. And that cause could only be explained by someone all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing, someone like God. But we're not trying to prove the probability of God or just that it's plausible that there is a God or it's possible that there is a God. But how do we go from possible to certainty? Maybe you believe that there's probably a God, but how do you become certain? Well, we need to cross over into what God has revealed, special revelation. General revelation is the world around us. Although his invisible attributes are clearly seen through creation, God has revealed himself in a greater way 
through the Bible and through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit to our conscience. So number one was creation. Number two reason how we know that there is a God is conscience. Number three is scripture. Number four is the Holy Spirit. Number five is changed lives. The sixth reason how we know there is a God is Christ came into the world. The seventh reason how we know there is a God No other worldview makes any sense without God. That's the presuppositional argument. The eighth reason, the gospel is the best news, the only real solution to the problems of evil, death, and its irrefutable proof of God's intervention in the world. and can change your life and eternity too. That's what I call the evangelistic approach. So let me take just two or three minutes to explain each of these arguments and these reasons And what I'm doing is trying to fulfill what the Apostle Peter told us to do. Be ready to give a reason to anyone who asks you for the hope that's within you with gentleness and respect. Dwell on truth is so important, and that's what we're doing here. We're dwelling on the truth. It's the power of God for salvation, the gospel. So that's the good news, that God is powerful to save everyone who believes. And I'm going to give scriptural basis for all of these, Because I'm not the one making the claim. It's actually God that has claimed these things. And he clarifies in the Bible with inspired words. And that's what makes these arguments powerful. They're not based on man's reasonings trying to get to God. It's God that has come down to us and revealed himself and spoken in different ways so that we can know him for certain. So beginning with the argument from creation, Romans 1 Verse 18 says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So first of all, it should be known that there is a God. I shouldn't have to give reasons for it. But in our day and age, people are arguing persuasively, powerfully, because of their overconfidence that they can fight against God and win. But they're doing an unjust thing. They're, as scripture calls it, suppressing the truth. It's like, have you ever been in a pool with a beach ball and you try to push the ball under the water? You're suppressing it, trying to push it down under the water so it's not visible. It takes a lot of effort, so invariably you're going to have to let go and it will pop up again. You can try to push the truth down, but it will always rise up. Because people have been trying to suppress the truth, but we want to show you that the truth is more powerful than any person that can suppress it. For the wrath of God is revealed against men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Why? For what can be known about God, verse 19, is plain to them because God has made it known to them. For his invisible attributes, verse 20, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. 
because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So the Bible gives us a clear insight into why God is judging people who say there is no God. Why is it wrong to say there's no God? Because it's evident to everyone, whether you have a Bible or not, from the things that he has made. And you can perceive some of his invisible attributes. He's invisible. He is eternal. He is powerful. He is divine. He is creator, not created. So people are without excuse. They can't say, I didn't know there was a God. Well, look around you. Everything that exists requires a cause. Who created the first tree? The air that we breathe. The ground that we walk on. The water that we drink. Your heart that beats. Your eye that perceives. Who created that? It's designed by an intelligent, wise God for life. Everything good that we have is a gift from above. And so claiming to be wise, people say, oh, I know that there is no God. I know better than that. That's old superstition. We're beyond that now. Romans one twenty two says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for shameful images of mortal man and other created things. So it's idolatry. That's the problem. And when people reject God, inside, they're believing the lie that they can be God. They can be their own God and decide for themselves what is good and evil and judge other people. In fact, they try to judge God. If there is a God, then he's evil. Well, where do they get off trying to define evil? Who do they think they are? They've given themselves over to a lie, so they've become foolish. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Now, Ephesians 2 says that we too once walked in darkness, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Therefore, I want to share these reasons humbly, because I too was lost. I too was confused and a fool believing that I can live without God and deny God either outrightly or by my actions and lifestyle. But God saved me by showing me that he is there, that he loves me, that he has a good plan for my life, by sending me Christians to tell me the truth and to correct me, and by giving me a desire to read his word. His word is truth, and the truth will set you free from the lies and the foolishness of atheism, as he has set me free. I thank God for gentle, kind, loving Christians that were bold and gracious and able to give me an intellectual answer to the difficult questions that I used as an excuse. All right, so I've shared my testimony last week. If you want to hear more about that, go to the Dwell on Truth podcast at iTunes or Podomatic.com to listen back to that. Now I need to move on to the other reasons. Beside creation, giving us enough knowledge of God 
to be able to confirm that there is a God and be judged if we say that there isn't. The second reason I want to focus on is conscience, the moral argument. The word conscience means with knowledge. Con, with, science, knowledge. God created us with knowledge that there is right and wrong, and certain things we know are wrong because God has written it on our hearts. Romans 2, verse 14 through 16. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their consciences also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. On that day, when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. God knows that we know the difference between right and wrong, even apart from the law of God. And then God intensifies our knowledge of right and wrong through the law, but neither the Jews who have the law nor the Gentiles who just have their conscience, neither groups, are justified by what we've done, because we all know the wrong things we've done. We know it's wrong to steal, to lie, to cheat, to kill, to hate, to disobey our parents, and to make a little God to worship, rather than give honor and thanks to the true and living God. We know this in our conscience, and our consciences reflect God's standard. It's like a little smoke alarm that goes off when something is wrong. Beep, 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 beep. But the Bible talks about how you can sear your conscience. It's like taking the batteries out of your smoke alarm. Through continually ignoring it, people dull their senses to this internal moral code. Even those with the strongest internal moral code or consciences, even they don't do the good that they know to do, or they do the wrong that they know not to do. Sin is the breaking of God's law. To him who knows what he should do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. That's a sin of omission. And then there's sins of commission, committing evil deeds, evil thoughts, speaking evil words. Our consciences tell us there should be a judgment. I deserve wrath. I deserve punishment. How shall I escape? And yet we don't see justice in this world, do we? There's no perfect justice when a hit-and-run driver gets away, or Hitler dies without receiving life sentence. If Hitler died without receiving what he deserves, then don't you think he should receive it in the next life? Don't you think there's a God who's judging him in the afterlife? People get off scot-free, it seems. Where's justice? There must be a God above who judges the world rightly. Isn't that what Abraham said before the law was written? He said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Certainly, there must be a judge over all who will judge the living and the dead. Our only hope for perfect justice is that there is a true and living God who is just and holy and sees everything and knows how to fix everything. Our consciences bear witness to the fact that there is such a God and the scriptures confirm it. So that leads us to the third reason for our confidence that there is a God. We know that there is a God because of the Word of God, the scriptures, the Holy Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years through 40 different authors. Men of God spoke 
as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of scriptures, which means verbal, every word, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Through the scriptures, God has given progressive revelation throughout history that he exists so that we can know him for certain. From Genesis to Revelation, he says, I am. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He was from eternity past. He always was. He always existed. As it says in Habakkuk 1.12, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? His goings forth are from everlasting. He had no beginning of days, past, present, and future. He's the eternal God. He is ever-present. And he's a very present help in trouble. There's no time when God did not exist. He is immortal and eternal. He always will be. He always lives to make intercession for us. Through Christ, we have eternal life. But we had a beginning, and we'll never have an end. But God had no beginning. It's like a picture of the timeline. He stretches out before the beginning of time. In the beginning was the Word. He already was. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll get into the Trinity another time. But the existence of God from eternity past to eternity future is made clear throughout Scripture. He is the only God. So this debunks the question of the skeptic who says, well, if everything needs a cause, then who caused God? Well, the premise is everything that has a beginning needs a cause. God had no beginning, so he doesn't need a creator to create him. He is the creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1 and John 1.1 parallel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh. That's Jesus. So there exists one true and living God. We know this because God has revealed himself in this way. He revealed himself to Abraham. In Genesis 15.1, he said, Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. So it's through his word that he revealed himself. And Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. And Abraham was called a friend of God. The main purpose for our existence and search for God is not just to know the truth, but to experience and enjoy him in reality. When you seek God, you must believe that he first exists. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. One of the cool things, I think, is what's the reward for those who seek him? They find him. God himself is the greatest reward you can ever find. And he draws us to seek him because he makes known to us that he is there. As Paul said on the speech he gave in Athens in Acts 17 to the philosophers, he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, 
being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. I love that speech in Acts 17, as Paul masterfully reasons with us according to our conscience, according to creation, and it's preserved in Scripture so that we can know that God is there and we could reach out and find him. And he proved this by raising Jesus from the dead. And that leads us to the fourth point. God reveals himself so that we may know him by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity. God is one God manifest in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 14:17, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Skip down to 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And Jesus goes on to describe the work of the Holy Spirit even before we came to Christ in confirming and convincing us of what the truth is. John 16:8 through 11. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. These are the things that the Spirit of God convicts the world about, so they can know for certain that there is a righteous judge, and that Jesus is the standard, because he goes to the Father and is accepted, and condemns the ruler of this world, that is, Satan. So there's a battle between good and evil, and everybody knows about it because the Holy Spirit has made them know through the church, those who are filled with the Spirit, who are led by the Spirit and speaks the words that the Holy Spirit gives because the Holy Spirit makes known the truth about God because he is God. He is omnipresent, and I trust him to do this work when I go out to preach the gospel. I can't change hearts. I can't convince you over the airwaves that there is a God, but the Holy Spirit convinces you, and he draws you, and he leads you to the truth. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. Receive the truth, for he is the Spirit of truth, and God cannot lie. Believe in him when he testifies to you about Jesus, and I invite you to come to Jesus, because that's what his main message is. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
And this is one of the ways that we know God, through the enlightenment that it gives us from the Holy Spirit, through personal and direct revelation. Now that may be more subjective. Creation and scripture are objective. Your conscience and the Holy Spirit testify more subjectively. So at this point, are you going to be unrighteous and suppress the truth? Or can you acknowledge God? Yes, I know from creation, my conscience, scripture, and the Holy Spirit that there is a God. Those are four out of eight reasons why we can be confident that there is a God and that we know him, not just know about him. Therefore, there's no excuse for those who say, I don't know if there's a God or not. There's no evidence. Well, God has revealed it. And I have four more reasons to give you, but time will not allow it today. So join us again next time on Dwell on Truth, and I will give four more reasons how God has revealed himself to us so that we can know him for certain. Until then, remember, dwell on truth. The truth for today is there is a God, and he loves you, and he reveals his love and his plan for you through the scriptures. So repent and believe the gospel. Trust in the one that the scriptures tell us is God in human form. Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay for us all, and three days later rose from the dead, defeating sin, Satan, death, and hell, and receive the free gift of eternal life that he offers to you. But in all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Thank you for listening to the first four out of eight reasons how I know God exists, and I'll give you more reasons to believe in God and in his word please write your questions to questions at dwellontruth.org. If you find these radio shows helpful and would like to send me support so that I can devote more time into producing these weekly shows and airing them on in order to spread the gospel in the Monterey Bay area and beyond, then you can send support to patreon.com slash dwellontruth. There are many ways that you could give, but I'm not going to devote a lot of time to raising support. Trust the Lord to lead you if he wants you to give to this ministry. You can find me and more info on Dwell on Truth at facebook.com slash dwell on truth. How do we know that God exists? This is part two of my message on eight reasons I know there is a God. Always be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15 So on today's program, I'm going to continue to outline these eight reasons. The first four I gave last time. You can check out that episode on the Dwell on Truth podcast, which you can find in iTunes or on Podomatic.com. All of these eight reasons are based on the premise that We can know God because he has revealed himself to us. God says, come, let us reason together. And he asserts that he is the God who was, is, and is to come. And he makes himself known through, number one, creation, what God made. God has made himself known through what he has made so that men are without excuse. No one could say, I didn't know there is a God. Everyone should know. There is a God, someone almighty, all-knowing, creative, good, just, 
loving, to whom we must give an account. But there's no excuse. So that's why people need the gospel. But creation itself is sufficient enough reason to conclude that there is a God. Number two, God reveals his existence to our conscience. As it says in Romans 2, God's placed his law on the hearts of Gentiles so that they have a moral code that resembles God's written code on tablets of stone. But again, the problem is none of us have lived up to even our own moral codes. So we need forgiveness. We need the gospel. We need Jesus. Number three, God has clearly revealed himself through the Holy Scriptures. As it says in Hebrews 1, that God has spoken to the fathers through prophets. And in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. You don't have the Word of God unless there is a God. So we can know there is a God when we read his Word. Number four, the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of God. He confirms through personal and direct enlightenment what he's revealed through creation, conscience, and scripture. He leads you to the truth and gives you confidence that he exists. So those were the four reasons I gave on the last program. Let's look at the next four reasons in our time today. Reason number five, how we can know there is a God, is he has changed our lives. And I want to take it a step further, not to just claim that you can know God, because a lot of people claim that, but how do you know that you know God? 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments and walk as Jesus walked. In other words, you know that you know God when your life changes in a supernatural way, when you're no longer living for sinful lusts, prideful ego, in a merely human way. And I know that I know God because he's radically changed my life down to the root. He's changed my heart. He's changed my life from the inside out. I'm no longer living like I used to live before I knew God. When I'm successful at keeping his commandments, it's because there is a God who came into my life and he's conforming me to his image. My family and friends know better than anyone through watching my life that Christ has changed me. My example is unexplainable in just a natural way. It's the love of Christ that compels me. It's the wisdom of God that has taught me. It wasn't me that was striving to change my life and succeeded at it, or some ideology that has taken me captive. It's a living God that is moving in and through my life. As 1 John 2, 3 says, if we keep his commandments and walk as Jesus walked. Now, this isn't a charge to try your best to imitate Jesus or a legalistic approach to Christianity of trying to keep his commandments. It's the effect of the knowledge of God. If you really know him, that knowledge changes you. And that change is confirmation that he's working in you. Because apart from God, how could you keep his commandments? How could you walk as Jesus walked unless Jesus was in you? Paul said to the Galatians, It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you know that Jesus loved you and gave himself for you? If so, that knowledge changes your life. It makes you trust in him. I can't help but believe in him, and I can't help but speak of the things that I've seen and heard. I can't help but testify of his love that he's revealed to me because it's overflowing, it's overwhelming. People in your life should be able to see this and confirm it. How else would you explain 
these true conversions that have taken place in many people's lives. Maybe you know someone who, before they came to Christ, they were rebels, and it seemed like all they could do was break God's commandments. They were nothing like Jesus. But after he came into their life, he began to change them. Something happened to them. Something supernatural came over them, and they no longer behaved in a purely natural way, in a merely natural human way. Although we are just humans, we'll never be God. God, in a person, changes everything. So when you receive God, the Holy Spirit, into your life, when Jesus is dwelling in your heart, it bears fruit. In other words, God, like the wind, cannot be seen, but you could see the effects of the wind, and you could see the effects of God on people's lives. So, God, who is spirit, proves he exists by changing lives for the better. God is able to do miracles, like cause us to be born again, open blind eyes, and enlighten us to know him for certain, so that you know that you know that you know him. This is special revelation because he doesn't do these kind of miracles of changing lives for everyone. He does it for believers. He does it for those who ask, Jesus, save me, change me, lead me, fill me, use me. Spirit of a living God, fall afresh on me. It's extraordinary, not ordinary. And his love in people compels other people to come to know him. He draws us to his love through people that he has changed by his love. It's contagious. It's a, there's a ripple effect of God's favor and grace and love. It's a gift of God. And I'm so thankful for it that he changed my life. It's so much better now than it ever was. In many ways, my life has changed. And if you were in my life, you would know it. And that wouldn't have happened without God. As it says in Ephesians 2, I was dead in my trespasses and sins in which I once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom I also once lived in the passions of my flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature a child of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved me, even when I was dead in my trespasses, I was made alive together with Christ. For by grace I have been saved, through faith, and this is not my own doing, this is the gift of God, not as a result of my works, so that I may not boast, but it's a result of what Jesus has done for me, in me, and through me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows the Lord, the Bible says. I know the Lord. I can't deny it. That's my claim. Are you going to believe it? That's my testimony. I'm an eyewitness of God changing my life. Now, when Jesus went to Samaria, he met the woman at the well, and he told her everything she did. He revealed himself to her as the Messiah. And she went into town and started telling people, come meet a man who knows me. Could this be the Messiah? And people came out and met with Jesus themselves. And they said, we no longer just believe because of your words, but now we have come to know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. That's what I'm telling you to do. Don't just take my word for it. Invite Jesus into your life. And that leads me to my next point. It's all about Jesus. The sixth reason how you can know there is a God is because Christ has come into the world as God's Son. He is God in human form. The story of Jesus is irrefutable proof 
that God has revealed himself. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And it's not just a story that Christians made up in the first century. There's historical evidence for the reliability of the New Testament, but it's also built on and fulfilling to the Old Testament prophecies. In fact, all of the Bible, Old and New Testaments, are all about Jesus. When I was a pastor in Riga, Latvia with Calvary Chapel, I taught a series through the Old Testament where we focused on Jesus in each book. Where does it prophesy or foreshadow or reveal who the Messiah would be? And when Jesus Christ came into the world, he fulfilled more than 300 prophecies from the Old Testament. The incarnation of Jesus means God came in the flesh. The Apostle John says if someone doesn't confess that he came in the flesh, then that's the spirit of Antichrist. His birth was predicted, that he would be God incarnate, God with us, Emmanuel. His name itself that they gave him was according to divine revelation. Jesus, or Yeshua, comes from the two Greek phrases, Yah, which is a contraction for Yahweh, the name of the Lord, and Shua for salvation. The Lord saves. The Lord is salvation. For he came to save sinners from their sins. And he did this through living a perfect life. He grew up being obedient to his parents, Mary, and his stepdad, Joseph. In the fullness of time, Christ came into the world, the Bible says. It was at the exact predicted time. And he was born in the exact predicted place. And he grew up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord as fully human, even though the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him bodily, according to Colossians 1. Jesus Christ means the Lord who saves is the Messiah. Christ means anointed one or Messiah. If you're not convinced that Jesus is God, that he is the third member of the Trinity, God in human form, then read the Gospel of John. It starts out with the words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him. And then you go down to verse 14, and it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So learn who Christ is and grow in the grace and knowledge of of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, receiving him and following him as a Christian disciple. So the sixth reason how we know there is a God is that he became a man. Jesus Christ is God in human form, and he revealed himself to us. Let me quickly give you the last two reasons as well. Number seven is the presuppositional argument. In other words, unless we presuppose or start with the existence of God, then nothing else makes sense. No other worldview makes sense of truth, reality, morality, humanity, purpose, justice, or love without God. Where do you get truth without God? If we're just natural, physical beings, there's nothing spiritual, as atheism asserts. Where is truth? Can you put it on a scale? Can you smell it, hear it? See it? Truth makes sense from a Christian worldview because truth is that which accords to the mind of God, that which corresponds to the way God says it is. Truth is that which accords to reality. If God says something is, then it is. Let there be light, and there was light. God is the arbiter of truth. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You have to presuppose the truth to make sense of anything. The other day, I was listening to KSCO, and there was a guy on there saying that he believed in aliens, but he wasn't sure that he himself existed. So I called in and said, this is a ridiculous worldview. I'm sorry, but if you can't even account for the truth of your own existence, how can you say anything else is real? So the presuppositional argument, number seven, shows that the best foundation for knowing anything is starting with God. Every other worldview is a self-refuting argument because they're asserting truth and knowledge when they can't even be sure that they can know the truth because science is always changing. Or how do you know that your experience isn't just you're a brain in a vat? Life is a simulation, as Elon Musk believes. Is anything real? The only basis for saying that anything is real is if God is real. So this is called epistemology, the study of knowledge. How do we know things? So the only epistemology that is consistent is based on the existence of God. Otherwise, it's just a matter of opinion. There's no absolute truth. And that's what the majority of people believe today, unfortunately. But that's a self-refuting argument. If there is no absolute truth, are you absolutely sure about that? Yes, they say. Well, then there's one absolute truth, but it's self-contradicting because you're saying there isn't any. One is not equal to zero. So study presuppositional apologetics. It's very fascinating. And it's more of an offensive as opposed to defensive way of defending the faith. And as they say, the best offense is a good defense in sports. And arguing about the existence of God, unfortunately, sometimes becomes like a sport, and people are just out to win and tear down the other side, which is not necessarily the most loving motivation. So we need to be careful how we use this presuppositional argument, because it is powerful. Jason Lyle from Answers in Genesis calls it nuclear strength apologetics. Cy Ten Bruggenkate demonstrates how you can use this to tear down any worldview that sets itself up in opposition to God. It would be funny if it were not so sad. So maybe we can figure out a way to have presuppositional arguments coming out of love and a pure heart, not to tear others down, but to tear down the wrong foundations that they're building on so that we can build them up in Christ instead. The final and the eighth reason that we can know there is a God is the gospel. And I would call this the evangelistic approach. But I think this is better than nuclear strength apologetics. This is God's power for salvation, the Bible says. Not just tearing down other false foundations, but this is the foundation, the best foundation, the best solution for the problem of man's sin and rebellion and opposition to God. It's the best news and the only real solution. He came to intervene. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And that can change your life now and for eternity. So, have you heard the gospel? Have you ever read any of the gospel accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts? Have you heard it preached in a church faithfully according to the scriptures? Paul summarized the gospel in this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, the Lord's brother, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. And he goes on to talk about the resurrection of the dead, which is the cornerstone, the foundation for our faith, that we can rely on God to save us because not only did Jesus die for our sins, and I hope you understand that, but he rose from the dead, showing that he defeated sin, death, Satan, and hell by overcoming it, by rising from the dead. It was impossible for death to hold him. Jesus' first words when he began his ministry were, repent and believe the gospel. He said, you're either for him or against him. So if he's calling you to repentance and to faith in the gospel, believe this good news that was preached to you, maybe not just through me, maybe there's people in your life that God has been using to reveal to you his love and his plan for your life to save you and give you eternal life. No, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But the message is, Jesus came, he took up his cross and died for us. He rose from the dead to give us victory. And he calls us to turn from our sinful, wicked ways, from this perverse generation, and to turn to follow him through faith. Receive him, receive forgiveness that he offers you. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because he is the king. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's within reach. Remember, Paul said in Acts 17, God is not far from you as though you cannot reach for him. He is so near, it says in Romans 10, as near as the words in your mouth. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your lips that God raised him from the dead, you call upon the Lord, you shall be saved. It's a promise in scripture. Now, I could give you an example of a prayer that you can pray to be converted from sinner to saint, from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. But it has to come from your heart of faith. And you have to say the same thing with your mouth that you believe. It's not just a matter of repeating what I believe. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him? If so, I implore you, flee to the Son. Run to him from your sins, says Jesus, save me from the wrath of God that I deserve for sinning against you. You know what I've done. You know how much I need you. I cannot change myself, but you can change me. Thank you for giving your life for me, for taking up your cross, for taking my place on the cross. Help me to give my life to you to take up my cross and follow you as my king. Lord, I'm willing to be your subject, your servant, your child. I believe you're speaking to me and drawing me to you. 
So save me. Something like that. You know, pray in your own words, but confess the truths of the gospel. If you are not believing in the gospel, but in something you're making up, that prayer is not going to save you. If you're trusting in your works rather than God's grace to save you, you are not saved. If you're trusting in a religion rather than a relationship with Christ, you are not saved. Come to Jesus personally. He is alive, therefore he is there. He hears you, and he's ready to receive all who turn to him in faith. Have you done that yet? I hope you do before it's too late. You never know when you're going to die. You have one life that will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last, but only what's done through faith will last and will be rewarded. It's by grace through faith in Christ alone that you're saved according to the scriptures. This is what the Protestant Reformation called the five solas in Greek. Sola means only. So it's only by grace, solo gratia. Solo fide means it's only by faith. Solo Christus, only through Christ. Solo scriptura, we know this only by the authority of the scripture alone. And there's no other way. Jesus isn't one of many ways to come to God because no other way works. No other way relies on what God has provided as the only way. They all rely on yourself trying to work yourself up into a frenzy or trying to work your way up a ladder or trying to work your way toward God. When God came down to us and said, just call on me. I have compassion on you. I'm willing to save you from what you deserve. But if you don't call on me, you will get what you deserve. There are some threats in the Bible. Jesus said, fear not him who can kill your body, but fear him who can kill your body and cast your soul into hell. And like a loving father, we fear him, but we can be moved positively toward him because we know he'll embrace us. The more we move away from him and rebel against his authority and reject his son, the more wrath you're storing up. Right now is the day of patience, the day of salvation. Repent because you don't know how much time you have. Today is the day of salvation. For some of you listening, this might be your last day on earth. Get right with God. Do it today. So that's how I want to end this discussion on how do we know, how do I know that there is a God? Well, I know subjectively and objectively. I know from creation, number one, to review finally before we close the show. Number one, creation reveals there's a creator. So let's acknowledge, honor, and serve our creator, God. Second, conscience reveals God's moral code. So let's confess what we've done wrong and let him cleanse our conscience with the blood of Jesus. Third, scripture reveals God's truth. In other words, you can't have the word of God without a God behind the word. So therefore, read, hear, believe, and know God's word. Number four, we know there's a God because of the revelation of the spirit of God. His work convicts us regarding Jesus. It confirms, enlightens, and empowers. So receive him. When you pray to receive forgiveness and you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, resides in you, and saves you and begins to sanctify you. The work of the Spirit is so important for your life. So receive him. Number five, changed lives. If your life hasn't been changed, then you don't know if you really know him or if you just think you know something about him. But a changed life is the fruit of knowing God. So my exhortation to you is make your calling and election sure. As the Bible says, examine yourself. 
You shall know a tree from its fruit. A good tree bears good fruit. An evil tree bears evil fruit. So make sure that you know him by seeing that change in your life. Do you keep his commandments? And do you follow Jesus and live or walk as he walked? Number six, reason why we know there is a God, because God revealed himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the God incarnate. Therefore, I exhort you to confess that and believe that and grow in the grace and knowledge of who Jesus is, Lord and Savior. Seventh reason how we know there's a God is God reveals truth epistemologically as a foundation for knowledge. He reveals that he is there, and that's the best presuppositional approach of arguing from that certainty. You have to start with God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. So don't try to build on another foundation. You have to start with God to know anything and to make any sense of your worldview. And then I ended with the evangelistic approach. The gospel is the reason how you can know God for certain. So those are eight reasons why we can be confident that there is a God and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I hope that you would diligently seek him to respond with faith and repentance as God grants you to be born again when you call on him. That's how it happens. So continue to follow Jesus and walk with him as a disciple. That's what this show is all about. Remember the acronym DWELL stands for make disciples, worship God, evangelize the world, love God, and love people, D-W-E-L-L. And the best way and the only way to do that is if all of this is true. We dwell on truth. Consider the truth and abide in Christ because his word is truth. So thank you for listening. If you want to contact me, please go to facebook.com slash dwellontruth. There you can write me, get more audio, video, updates on what's coming up in my ministry, and I'd love to hear from you. So may God richly bless you. For more info, go to dwellontruth.org. Dwell on Truth is sponsored by Top Grade Paving. If your driveway is full of holes and you can't even pull in or out of it, is the bottom of your car scraping? Are you bottoming out? Is your coffee spilling out of your cup holder every single morning when you're pulling out of your driveway? We can help with that. Last week we paved the driveway. Someone that actually had a handicap accessible van and because it was a lowered van, it couldn't even back out of their driveway properly. It would scrape every single day. We was able to come in and pave the driveway with a flat surface to work properly. They actually got the job totally for free because I had extra asphalt, so they were super happy. A lot of people have root damage in their driveways that can make a trip hazard. We can come in and always take care of that. There could be large potholes, uh, water puddling. The drainage set up on a driveway cannot be right. Yeah, we can fix all that. Top grade paving is licensed, bonded, and covered under Workman's Comp. I'm Robert. 408-455-8723. Call Top Grade Paving. That's 408-455-8723.